0: Love and Compassion is My Religion will make you think hard about possibly yourself or other people in your life that may be suffering from addictions. This book by Jane Zars is a heart-wrenching, informative, helpful, but most of all, inspirational book. And numbing feelings, I was scared of my feelings. I I was scared of sobering up and feeling all of those things that I was trying to numb. And I wasn't successfully numbing them because I was still miserable. It's not like I would, you know have like six drinks and all of a sudden be happy all of a sudden that that wasn't even on on the radar it was just not wanting to to be so sad I was just so so sad and what we when we see people that are are abusing alcohol or drugs what I now see is they're just sad they're just not to feel all that so when getting sober and now being sober not needing escapism and having and feeling sad And feeling scared sometimes or self-doubt. That's okay. And knowing that's okay. That's the part of the human experience to feel all those things. That's I don't feel the need to I was so scared of feeling any of those things without the comfort, the alcohol holding my hand through it. And then once you finally face it all, it's like it's 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 not it's okay. It's good to be human. It's 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 okay to be human. And I I didn't want to be human. I was I was just Like I said, I was just this zombie barely existing.
1: Hello, friends and family. Welcome back to the Soap is Dope podcast. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan, and I'm very excited to bring our special guest, Jane Zarcy, to you today. I've been waiting a long time to do my interview with Jane, and Jane is an exceptional human being and a powerful force in the recovery community. Jane Zarcy is the author and top social media influencer. She was born and raised in Lake Forest, Illinois. She graduated from Boston University on the Dean's List before acting in New York City and trading in Chicago. She spiraled into alcoholism before joining Alcoholics Anonymous and finding her way back sober and pissed off is the second book for zarcy her first book love and compassion is my religion a beginner's book into spirituality is a guide for finding one's spiritual self zarcy's first book received excellent reviews and gained worldwide attention she has built an impressive author platform with tens of thousands of people who are in recovery following her on social media and is a top two percent Twitter influencer. You can follow Jane at on Twitter at Zarcy Jane on and on Instagram at Jane Zarcy. Ladies and gentlemen, with no further ado, I am extremely excited to bring you our guest today, Jane Zarcy. We intend to talk about God in recovery, God in spirituality, the importance of God in recovery, and her personal process on the recovery journey. And we're about to go live with Jane. So hold on while bringing our special guest, Jane Zarcy. I'm very excited. I'm a fan of your work and I love where you come from, your your genuine message is something that resonates with me deeply. So um, I would love to talk to you today and bring you on as my expert in the field of God and sobriety, so to say, right? right. Um, it's one thing to have um, a pastor or someone on, but it's also uh, um, important to have people who actually thrive in recovery through the message of God. So I'm really excited today. So I'm well happy. Did I wish you Happy Easter Online? I think I did.
0: Yes, you did. Yeah. How was your good
1: it was blessed it was blessed okay. it was really good um i i was able to catch um service and um the message was really good and i really was in the spirit this year i think like i i had a tough february as you know very well cuz yeah. i was supposed to record with you in february and i got really sick and um out of nowhere and it wasn't covid related or anything i just think i burnt out and i was working too hard and I had got an infection in my ear that kind of affected my head. And I couldn't sleep. I couldn't lay down. I, I, And I was scared because I thought it was COVID. And then I was just doubting myself. And I just was like, I had migraines and fevers at the same time. I was running a fever for six days. It was like I thought I was going to die. I, it was just a mess. And I think God was just, like, rebuilding me for something because I just... Yeah. And that was the end of a chapter. And God said, I have to recalibrate you to get your body up to speed for everything that you got coming. So thank you for your support. So Easter for me was just like this aha moment of just starting over, using the resurrection as a symbol of a brand new start. How was your no
0: matter how grateful you were before your your health crisis, you're so much more grateful now. I realize how many days I take my health for granted. Right. And then I get sick and I'm I'm like, Jane, you know, every day, the first thing you've got to really thank God, I'm feeling good today. Right. I, mean, I can see. I can hear. I'm not in chronic pain. That's a right. big deal because yeah. we have those days when we don't feel good and, and we take the ones that we do for granted. And, and sometimes when I feel good physically, I'll just start focusing on, oh, well, let's. Uh, if I'm not in the right headspace, I'll start focusing on the things I don't have instead of my physical health that I do have. Correct. And it really is where our focus goes. Right. Uh, and that's, that's that's what God wants us to focus on is what he can do through us. And what he can do to us. And and sometimes you, I feel like, you know, in this journey, I've got so much work to do. I've got to figure this out. I need to do this more. I need to help more people. But sometimes you just need to be still right. and just know, just right. believe and receive.
1: Correct.
0: Because Correct. that's how I get my power is just sitting still, knowing that I don't deserve it. I'm no different than anyone else. But I know that God loves me. I know that he saved me from an alcoholic death to be here for some reason. And I I know that he wants me to to tell other people that how important the belief system is. If you don't believe, I mean, no matter how hard it is, and and sometimes even even as a believer, your belief can fluctuate. I had a period that I was going through, um, first with emotional sobriety. And a lot of times God takes you through things just so you can have com- compassion for the other people that are going through it. I was kind of, um, I was judgy thinking, oh, that person's dry or that person doesn't have the, co- the God connection. And then I went through a period where I didn't have that. Wow. And it makes you take a step back and think who are, who do you think you are that your relationship with God is better than anybody else's. You are no one special.
1: Correct. And
0: just, just to know that, it's available to anyone, and that if we don't, and and you've got to believe the times you don't feel it. I think God tests us. Like, okay, I'm going to start the mystery of God. God's always going to be mysterious. We're not supposed to know everything. That's the beauty of the mystery of Him. Mm-hmm. But just to you know, sometimes, all right, Jane, well, you're not going to feel me for the next couple of days. How are you going to behave? How
1: right, are you going to?
0: Right. How are you going to still have that joy inside and be able to give that away if you're not feeling me? I think He right. tests us. <laughs> right,
1: right. Like in the story of Job, right? God, that was the great test. I mean, you know, um, Job didn't lose faith despite, I mean, Job went through the most I think anyone could go through. He lost his family, health, all his wealth and everything, but he still maintained his faith. And I always remember that. And even when I was really sick, I said to um i said you know what god i put it to you like this i'm i'm happy where i'm at now and if this is my time it's my time i was being super melodramatic but i was really sick and um, but I said I made peace within a prayer deep within myself and just was like, look, this is absolute. If it's my time, it's my time. I thank you and I'm happy and, yeah. I, and I and I'm good. And I had gratitude there. And the trick is having gratitude, love uh, and leaning into God when things are not favorable in your life. Yeah. So I definitely agree with you there. I want to start off and go back just a little bit to give our sure. audience some context. Can you take us on the, you know, back to your origin story with recovery, like, you know, give us like the CNN version of your um, process in recovery. You know, you talk about alcoholic dementia. You also talked about your physical ailments, you know, having issues with your kidneys and just, you know, being totally displaced and being brought back to life, so to say, through the grace of mercy of others and God. Let us know how everything started in your alcohol journey
0: sure i mean like everybody else it started real social real fun um i felt that uh you know to be one of the cool kids (laughs) you know growing up god wasn't cool it partying was cool and i wanted i wanted to be considered cool i wanted people to to like me i i got my validation if from other people so it was really important to me all the shallow stuff what i wore um what i drove um who i hung out with you know all all that all that all that stuff that uh, ideally we all I'll grow someday. But um, for a while, that's when the alcohol, it worked for me, Pop. Like I felt like, yeah, I, I've got this going on. I can I can behave socially and, and comfortable around people with this, with, you know, being altered, being, being being buzzed. It made me feel, make it all easier. So I didn't feel, um, you know, I, I, part of when I was a drunk, I cared so much what other people thought, you know, and that's one of the reasons it got me to that point. Um so I uh, I went to prep school, I went to Boston University, I joined a sorority, I was real social in the Greek system. I was able to graduate um Boston BU on the dean's list, so it didn't the nice. wheels didn't fall off quite yet. I mean and a lot of people would see me out because the bars close at two o'clock in Boston. So you could go to Chinatown and order cold tea and they'll give you Miller light. Or you go to a, you know, a fraternity house and you know, they'd have that cat going to five or six in the morning. Right. And people would see my grades and say, what are you doing? Are you sleeping with the Dean? Like, how are you doing all of it? <laughs> but yeah. I was able to, I, it, I was able to pull it. It works for a while, especially right. when you're younger. Correct. And then, um, and then after, after I graduated, I moved to New York and was doing the whole, Oh, I'm going to do some acting sort of thing. And that wasn't going anywhere. I was barking up the wrong tree. I just didn't know what else to do with my life. And since I didn't know what to do and so un- so uncertain about my own identity, I really turned out al- to the alcohol. So and that's when I started drinking in the morning. That's when I went to a doctor and said, I think I'm having a heart attack. And he, um, he gave me a physical. He said, there's nothing wrong with you. I said, well, I'm having this panic disorder. It was at the beginning of daily detox. So then the the drinking kept, kept going. And then I I moved to Chicago and I started trading my own money, which meant that I could keep the party going for a while. Because when you're around a bunch of misfits in the trading environment, like at the stock exchange, no one questions the beer before noon. You know, if you want to have a drink while you're trading because you got too many positions on, you know, everyone that that's normal. There we're a bunch of misfits that corporate America didn't really wasn't really a right fit for us. Right. So when I was able to, um, you know, be drinking my own, be, be making my own money and drinking, drinking through my life, it was money's a curse for the active alcoholic. Right. And then my mom died and then I stopped trading. And then the then I started just drinking because I did I'd wake up in the morning and just cr- Oh my gosh, I couldn't believe she was gone. I was in that pain funnel and that's when I became unemployable. The wheels fell off. Um, I uh, I was looking I I felt that I I was unable to make it in this life. Like I didn't even know what what to do. So everything everything progressed and I got pregnant and I was I was graced with I was with a um a dry spell. I was able to not drink for my unborn child because I thought she was worth it. Right. I thought she was worth the love that I was unwilling to give myself. So all those changed behaviors of the not drinking and the eating well. And I, I started working a nine to five job. And as soon as she was born, she was on the bottle and so was mommy. And that's oh. when I continued to drink like the, the merry-go-round drinking again. It's every day, all day. And my dad stepped in because I was an unfit parent. And he he took my child and and, which was good because she was in better hands. And so I knew that if I wanted to be a mother, if she deserved to grow up with a mother and if I deserved, um, I didn't think I deserved anything, but I knew she deserved better than what I was, what I was providing at that time, which was nothing. So I got sober for my, to be a mom to my child. A lot of people say, Oh, Jane, you can't get, you have to get sober for yourself. I've stayed sober for myself, but pop, I got sober. I didn't think I was worth it. I got sober because the same way I was able to have a dry spell during my pregnancy. I thought she was worth it. Not me, Right.
1: Right? you know? She's an extension of you, I think. A child is kind of like the exception to the rule when it comes to that, because yeah. a child is an extension of yourself. So you are technically getting sober for yourself when it's for the love of a child. So I commend you for that. And as we know, a lot of children grow up as alcoholics and with a lot of dysfunction because of um, because they're children of adult alcoholics or parental alcoholics, alcoholism. So that's a beautiful thing. And so when you decided to get sober for your daughter. What was your process? Did Was it just, um, you know, you had this revelation? Was it overnight? Was it cold turkey? Did you go to AA? What was the process like there?
0: I, I went to AA and I w- it took me over a year to get 30 days. Okay. I would, I would still have, I'd have these, this chronic detoxing where my legs would shake so violently they'd wake me up in the middle of the night. I'd have to go to the hospital for Ativan drips just to, to I'd get 16 days and drink. I'd get 16 days and drink. I finally got 30 days. And after I got 30 days, I drank again. And then it took me that my last drunk it lasted another six weeks. I couldn't put the drink down for another six weeks. And a lot of people think, Oh, you must've been doing, you know, people that have problems with, with drugs. I, I, I can relate because pain is pain, but this was pure alcoholism. I was, I was a wino. I was wine for breakfast. I was, then it was whatever I could get my hands on. Um, I would just drink it constantly nonstop. And um, when you have a, a body that's, that's dependent on it and a mind that's obsessed with it. I thought I was going to die a drunk. So I kept going back. There's something that I really don't like it when there's anybody that shows up high or drunk and they say that person needs to leave the meeting Uh-uh. that who needs the meeting more. Right, Why is that right. person there? Cause when I, when, when I was getting messed up and the last place I wanted to go was an AA meeting. But if you, if you see somebody that's, that's high and they're at a meeting that, that's, that's the most important person in the room, in my opinion. Right. So they they didn't, you know, we don't shoot our wounded. They said, keep coming back. And I honestly was me that you, they they want me to keep coming back. And then um, nothing worked until I got into the book with a well-versed sponsor. You know, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is based on the big, big book, the Bible. Right. And that's, that's when the light went on for me. And that's when I started reading And I also saw people living lives rewarding, free of alcohol. And I thought, maybe this could work for me. And I, I, I
1: I love that the big book, uh, the big book is based on the big book, the Bible. (laughs) Right. And I love that. Um, You know, so the origins of Alcoholic Anonymous and the spirituality, some believe started with Roland H and his meeting with Dr. Carl Young and Dr. Carl Young was talking about, you know, we need a a higher spirit, a higher spirit to conquer the spirit of the addiction. And right. he called that spiritus contra spiritum, and he was using that as a framework of, um, and which later inspired Bill W. to utilize faith in the Bible as the backbone for recovery through yeah. the vital through the vital spiritual experience. And for me, um, I think that's extremely important. The, just the term vital spiritual experience for me was something just reading the term made a connection between my relationship with God and my sobriety. And it was so deep because I remember going back. My story begins with me getting on the floor in the middle of the street, totally crying to God, like, I'm done. I need help. The devil captured me. Please, God, send every angel, send my parents, send my dad, send the ancestors. Like, I'm captured. I'm done. I'm in trouble. I was like, Syria, like I was a spiritual revelation that, Something is trying to kill me and take my spirit away. And I just felt at that moment, something clicked. And I saw everything clear, like, you know, like in a movie, everything crystallized, I could see past, present and future. And I just understood. I was content in my spirit. And that was my vital spiritual experience from that point. I'm still living through that point eight years later. Right. And well, I have yeah. no, no desire to drink. I don't think about it. I don't regret it. I don't think about, I mean, I've reveled, you know, I think about the past and the past is yep. in its own perspective, but I'm healed, so to say, um, but this is it's just it's a big community. And someone like you who's an author, you know, you wrote the book um sober and pissed off, right? Um and 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 me, I'm a podcast host, and we're people that you know, we're on the front line. We carry this message, but there's a large amount of people in the community who just can't make that connection with God, right? Who who mm-hmm. just like look, I want to talk about sobriety, but I don't want to deal with the 12 steps of that AA stuff of God. And I don't like alienating those people because I- it's yeah. important, right? So yeah. I tend to I tend to talk about even high finding a higher power within yourself through meditation, mm-hmm. through creative ways of um. I, o- I also talk about looking into at your ancestors, so to say, not as a form of faith because that could be totally sacrilegious to some, you know, as hardcore Catholics. Like I could see my um stepdad say no, 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 with that, but you know, my brother is also a Catholic priest, so I'm lucky enough to come from a really big Familiar background when it comes to faith, but I try to guide people gently and through the exploration of possible faith either within their self, within family, within something they love. How do you attack that?
0: Well, I agree with you, especially in a first step meeting the, when when I first showed up and they started talking about God, it turned me off. I okay. thought "Oh, what well, i just I just want to quit drinking I'm drinking myself to death I don't want to go to church right. It's, a lot of the first step meetings when people first come, I don't want to shove God down their throat, right. no more revealed. But the truth is there's no known cure for, for alcoholism or drug addiction. The only proven treatment for 80 plus years is spirituality. Right. So whatever spirituality is for them, if they, you don't want to use the God word, you know, Correct. good order an acronym for good orderly direction or, you know, use the group um, just, but they have to find a power greater than alcohol or a power greater than the drug of their choice to begin with. You have to believe in something bigger than the thing that is killing you.
1: Right.
0: Hopefully we get the more towards um, higher power and the spirituality, but that takes time. It took time for me. It wasn't a light switch. Like I said, I was turned off initially. And now I feel, you know, my relationship with God is just, it's everything. It's the most important. It's the most important thing in my life. If you said to me, you know what, Jane, you could live another 30 years. You could have, um, be successful and be healthy, but you can no longer pray and you can no longer meditate. I, I couldn't, I, I wouldn't be able to go on. I mean, wow. that's that important to me. Um, it, it's, every, it's all encompassing for me. I can't, I, the truth is without God, I, I could do nothing. I, And I know that now, but for the people that come in and they don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear, I, I, I don't want to drink myself to death. I, I'm not here to find God. So that's why they have to just keep coming around and make them do, you know, I'm not a big fan of a lot of the treatment center sayings that aren't in the book, like 90 and 90, but they do, but keep coming, but they do work. So if you, right. like I, I hit out in AA for two years as an insurer, each meeting, I went to three meetings a day for two years. And each one of those meetings was an insurance policy for me down the line. But, um, so tell people you know what you can work the steps mechanically you can just we'll love you till you can love yourself you need love if love is your higher power let's do that let love let love be greater than than your disease but um but it's it's near impossible for people to hang out with people in recovery who have that love and have that spirituality and you watch them i watch these old timers that tell me you know i'd be freaking out about something Jane, it's already okay. They were so spiritually mature, weren't afraid of death, weren't afraid of anything because they had that knowing that God's got them.
1: You're right.
0: Yeah, that's what I wanted. That's you know, priceless.
1: It's, that it's, is it's
0: priceless. Promote. And then eventually I, I started chasing the most spiritual meetings I could find, but I came in there not wanting to hear jack about God. I get it.
1: Right. right. The next thing I want to talk about, I want to go back a little bit, right? Because it's something sure. that we we I didn't get to address. Your mom, right, yeah, God bless her. I lost my father at fifteen, okay, and later on, when I did the work and just tracing my trauma back to where it started, it started with my father. It wasn't just my dad, it was relationships, it was a lot of other things, but it started with the death of my father and and when you were drinking and then found out your mom died, what I think happened was we know mental health develops through the sometimes through loss, and especially a loss of a parent could really change your brain through neuroplasticity. And that process of dealing with the grief kind of can trigger mental health, which is depression, anxiety, and all of these things, Mm -hmm. chronic depression and stuff like that, because your neurotransmitter hormones just fall to an unhealthy level. You're drinking alcohol, which is a depressant. So was there a, a, let's talk about depression, loss, alcoholism at that time for your mom. Do you think that it 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 increased the alcohol the effects of the alcohol use and oh, were it, you experiencing depression?
0: Yes, I was, I was depressed all the time. I didn't want to be here anymore. It was it was like my my I could physically feel my heartbreak inside. I mean, I physically felt just empty and, and, and shattered. And I I I was committing suicide in the installment plan. I knew I was drinking myself to death, and that okay. was my. I knew it. The goal was to say drunk enough not to care
1: I mean just not to care and
0: then I I mean I really believe that if I didn't have my daughter I would have I would have died another alcoholic death I just I didn't want to be here anymore I didn't I felt nothing except um sadness and loneliness and rejection and pain and grief and 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 and, and, uh, there wasn't enough alcohol to make all that go away but I tried I try, I try to just drink. I wanted to erase myself. Right. And then when, I, so, you know, so when I was able to put the substance down, do I also, you know, got on my knees when I t- cried out to dead grandparents and everyone, everyone up there, please, please, please. I, you know, that moment, that gift of desperation, Right. Got right. the book with a well-versed sponsor. And then um, my spot, I know mean, they say women stick with women, men stick with men, but my sponsor was a, gay man who worked at the steel mills in Gary, Indiana, and he would show up with nail polish and flamboyant. And he learned to just completely ignore the negative comments by other people. And I grew up in a you know a North Shore suburb of Chicago where I cared so much about what people thought. I thought, like, wow, I could learn a lot from this guy.
1: Right.
0: And when he taught me about internal power where I'm the one that's in control. I'm in control of what goes on up here. And what goes on up here is going to dictate my entire life.
1: Right. And
0: then having that knowing God loves you. You're okay. What you, when I started thinking about, when I told somebody that I finally had six months sober and I knew it, and I didn't care if they believed me or not. When I knew what mm. I thought was more important than what other people thought, that's when I knew I was getting somewhere.
1: Nice, nice. You mentioned something that I love to talk about existing and not living and numbing oh, yeah. and not feeling right. So mm-hmm. we had this thing where we stay numb. I think during your um, dealing with your mom, you went into a state of numbness, you was mm-hmm. you didn't want to feel right, but you was really hurting. Um, and with addiction, we exist, but we're not living like I always had the feeling like I was just like totally tapped out of reality And I just felt isolated, like I was on this desolate island, um, just by myself, where I could see people around, but I wasn't really there. Like, I was like, can you talk to us about that, that numbing feeling and um, not feeling?
0: And numbing feeling, I was scared of my feelings. I I was scared of sobering up and feeling all of those things that I was trying to numb. And I wasn't successfully numbing them, because I was still miserable. It's not like I would, you know have like six drinks and all of a sudden be happy all of a sudden that that wasn't even on on the radar it was just not wanting to to be so sad I was just so so sad and what we when we see people that are are abusing alcohol or drugs what I now see is they're just sad they're just not to feel all that so when getting sober and now being sober not needing escapism and having and feeling sad and feeling scared sometimes or self-doubt that's okay and knowing that's okay that's the part of the human experience to feel all those things right. that's i don't feel the need to i was so scared of feeling any of those things without you know, the comfort the alcohol holding my hand through it and then once you finally face it all it's like it's it's not it's okay it's good to be human it's it's, it's okay to be human. and right. i i didn't want to be human i was i was just like I said, I was just this zombie barely existing. That was it. I didn't, I, just a drunk zombie who wasn't, no one was home. And so people that, you know, people stopped taking my calls. People said, Jane, you were slurring your words. I couldn't even hear you. So my, my life become re- became really my, my optic and friends and family disappeared. Like, you know, when you flip on the light, cockroaches scatter. That's right. the way At the end. The people in AA and God, were, I think without them, I wouldn't know that I was able to that love was even real anymore because I didn't feel it within myself for years.
1: Right. Right. And, you know, thinking back for the for most addicts, when it gets really bad and Mm -hmm. they're like super rock bottom, it's this thing in the world where people just feel like people do turn their backs. I mean, they get I mean, the family eventually just gets so they become numb. Yeah. um they don't know what to do and the an addict can be very very um and i'm gonna speak straight here because i am an addict so i could do that i'm okay. qualified to keep it real yeah. but an addict could be very disruptive annoying and just kind of yeah. like troubling and dark and it, it activates trauma in a lot of other people um so eventually they just have a shut off switch and then they scatter like you said um <laughs> but the problem is you know When it's when it's everyone. It's the worst thing for the addict. And that's why I try to let people know, like, if you're out there and someone in your family is really going through it, just try to really exercise patience, understand Mm -hmm. that that it's a disease, the person that the person is dealing with, it's an illness, it's a sickness, Um, it's somewhat accompanied by mental health automatically. They have this term called comorbid addiction or comorbidity, where we know that, you know, a person could be experiencing um, co-occurring mental health alongside of the addiction. Um, And for a lot of people, if you frame it differently, like, well, my loved one is dealing with chronic depression and sadness and anxiety And maybe they're a little bipolar in some cases, but and they're using alcohol somehow to self-medicate. It frames it or drugs. It reframes it. Right. And you got to exercise a little bit more compassion. Right. Which we love that word compassion. Uh, we Talk about um, gratitude on your journey. What does gratitude mean to you? Because you talk about how these people, A.A. and strangers kind of like. Co- you know, embraced you and you had gratitude for that and the love of others.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I wasn't grateful for anything. It was poor me, pour me another drink. I, I was so, I thought everything was outside of myself. I was real needy, real needy at the end. Like, oh, if, if everybody will just come back and be, be nice to me and, and give me stuff and I wouldn't be so lonely and poor and, and sick, you know, it's just, I never got it that, it was all what was going on that I could fix me or other people or God could fix me. Cause I was that broken. But right. when I got to AA and I was taught, listen, this is all within you. You work this stuff. All this other stuff's going to take care of itself. Just trust us. Just trust us on this. And then when they, um, they turned, I, I started doing what they told me to do. And then when you start feeling good inside and I never felt good inside for years, the gratitude of that, like, wow, something's working and the gratitude for not being sick. I was drinking around the clock. I thought if I don't drink, I'm going to stroke out. So the gratitude of waking up and not having to reach for something out of fear that if I'm not putting alcohol in my system, I'm going to die that day. You know, that, that crazy fears, um, first it was just the gratitude of physically feeling good. And then the gratitude of just having love in my life. And then the gratitude of, wow, I I'm in control of my own reality and my own universe. The keys to happiness aren't in someone else's pocket. They're in mine. And these people are showing me how to use them through the love of God. Mm. And I I haven't looked back since.
1: I love that. I love that. (laughs) Can we talk about how, you like you talk about your health, like what? How did you rebuild your health life? Um, you have a company called Thrive Gro- um, Global, right? And um, and I saw a website that you was on. Thrive. Oh, I was.
0: I did a um. They, they did something for my my second book. It's it's not my my website. Oh, was that, okay,
1: okay, okay. And you talk about but, how? Yeah, I
0: had my kidneys were shutting down. I was yeah. To live, I hadn't been to a dentist in I don't know five six years. I um, I was. You know, all those unexplained bruises. Um, right. So when I was able... I didn't know what was in worse, worse shape when I sobered up. My mental health and my physical health. Right. So what I would do is I would run each day. I really start... I would eat right. I would start taking vitamins. It didn't dawn on me to either start taking vitamins or using moisturizer until I had 90 days. That's how far Thank gone. You. I had three months and thought, well, I should really start taking some vitamins. Maybe I should moisturize my skin. Because as a drunk, those things... It, part of the alcoholism is, you know, this, it it really affects the self care, this, the self love, if you will, there's no self, there was no self care. So just the gift of being able to care for myself mentally thinking I should start caring for myself. Thank God my body reacted um, positively to that physically where everything kind of rejuvenated. And I, I still have some moments of, um, where my hands will shake and people think I'm nervous. I think that's just nerve damage from all the years of chronic detoxing. And I, I don't know um, if my intelligence quite is where it was before I started this journey, but I don't care. The fact that I, I know what's going on today, I know what day it is. I know I'm talking to you right now. The fact that I'm even aware. Right. Um, you're obliv- I was oblivious for years so just to be aware of my own behavior and not to have ended up with alcoholic dementia. Yeah. It's it's miraculous. It's Is really it? miraculous that you for both of us that we didn't die, for all of us. Right,
1: for right. We have our life and uh yeah. um that's so important. How what's your sober date um and how much time do you have in?
0: 9/15/09. My last drink was 9/14/09, but I didn't want to count a day that I was drinking as my sober date. right, such right. A for me to go a full 24 hours without a drink. Right. And so oh, that's that's the day I I celebrate. I mean, I, I I'm still in awe. It's been 11 plus, you over 11 and a half years. I'm still in awe of my sobriety. I'm still in awe that I can be around it. Like, you know, the alcoholism, a twofold problem, the mental obsession. I want to drink coupled with a physical allergy. The fact that if they didn't re- if the biggest gift I ever got in the past, in my entire life, be- besides being turned on to God, but the biggest gift that I received knowledge wise was, that mental obsession being gone. I, they said, that's going to leave you. I said, you don't understand. I don't want to quit drinking if I'm going to be thinking about drinking all the time. That's still a, a life of hell. Like, if I'm just going to be wanting to drink all of that sweaty, that I want it, that shaky feeling. I thought I thought sobriety was going to be like that. That's why I avoided right. it. Pers-
1: and it's not like that. Wow, look, I love this. Because uh, I can relate. Isn't that that mental obsession was insane? Oh, my God. And I think that's the thing that people don't understand, like about the addict is that you can't really control that because of the allergy. And the thing that got me was that's what I was worried about. And the only time that was explained Properly was when I read the doctor's opinion in the A.A. when he talked about the allergy of the addiction and that it's like you're allergic to it and that's why you you can't you have this insatiable appetite to drink and you go and I used to feel so terrible and I didn't understand that that was in relationship with my dopamine receptors and the dopamine in my brain and the science and what what we were craving was to fix a chemical imbalance in our brain and that's high science as really extreme scientific ideas that we're trying to self-medicate on our own and the alcohol is just keep impacting and hitting the problem harder and harder, you get this immediate relief. Then once it wears off, you're back to the races. And I mean, that was crazy for me. Oh, oh my God.
0: And I thought it would never go away. Me too. And I, was, I was still thinking about alcohol the way I'd be, the way I thought about alcohol. I would be drinking Chardonnay right now or I would have died drunk.
1: Right, right. I right. never
0: thought it would stop. It was so relentless, that thought of, you. I mean, it would always be, do I have enough? Do I have enough for tomorrow morning? What if right. I wake up not in the house? Will I be okay enough to go out and get some? Do I have enough money to go get some? I mean, it was like, it was like that. I right. Never
1: it was like as if we could warehouse enough liquor for 20,000 years, we would, and to attempt to drink it all. Until we die, it will be no like problem. We'll be happy. And that's it. We'll just drink ourselves to death. And that's what happens to a lot of people. And that's why we talk. I want to talk about mercy. And I want the people that's listening, whether you have family in some places or, you know, like, think about what we're saying. And put yourself in the addict's shoes and really try to exercise some mercy. Because when you see that reality follow someone to the end, that's when you're outside and you see someone that's totally homeless and covered in filth and broken and just totally out of it. And then they're drinking still and you're judging them. And that person has a real serious illness. And we need to exercise mercy um, and compassion for the addicts and to break the stigma of addiction. Yeah. You know, we recently just lost a really spiritual artist, DMX. I know you heard. uh, And this guy is extremely spiritual. Yeah. It was so sad. And he was talking about how someone that he trusts gave him crack at 14 years old. And you could see how he was trying to deal with that problem his whole life and he finally lost the battle but he won the war as far as his faith and his realization before he went i mean i had he says some powerful prayers but he made peace with it he said his truth and now the world could look at addiction from a different perspective from a different lens and i think that's the gift that dmx has given us that you can see how sometimes it torments the person to a point to where you know it tries to attempt to take away everything good in them, but that DMX didn't let that happen. He maintained God. He maintained love. He told his story. Um, and it's important.
0: Yeah. Cause a lot of people think, you know, when they look at people in that position, Oh, it's low moral character. You know, they're just, they no self-control. Um, a lot of, um, they're doing that to themselves. You know, they're, it's always going to be like that. Let's just, just stay away. And, um, And that happened to me, you know, nobody wanted, wanted to be around me. And a lot of people think it is low moral character. And then, you know, and I started to think that too, like, Oh my gosh, I'm just a terminal screw up. And then this older woman in AA said to me, Jane, you're not a bad person trying to get good sweetheart. You're a sick person trying to get well. And that, that made me, made me realize, wow, you know, maybe I am worth it. Maybe, you know, I take, I'm accountable for my alcoholism. I wanted to, I I needed to drink. I wanted to drink. I drank all those beers, everything that I did as a drunk. Yes, I did that. But I was also really, really sick. And um, a lot of people just see the drunk or the addict as just, Oh, wow. They're just a horrible, bad person. But we start seeing each other as as, as, well. They're just really sick. Right. It's, um, It's helped. And even with it's with, once I got my physical sobriety, just, having some trouble with, with people in my life or people who also have addiction issues and having that same woman say to me, you know, Jane, and she's talking about me too at the time. She said, yeah. you know, we're dealing with really sick people here. Have some love. Right, And that's what it is.
1: That's what it is. That's what it is. Can you tell us about your awesome book, So Been Pissed Off? I love the title and um, I think it really, um, it, it talks to a lot of people's state of mind. And Sure.
0: Um, so I, I was, uh, I wrote that, I think I had five or six years. So sober at the time I wasn't drinking, but, um, I wasn't happy. I was in a relationship where I, you know, I had my husband had this other woman he was talking to, or let just felt, you know, really insecure about insecurity is a common denominator for alcoholic women. And sometimes that follows us even into sobriety, unfortunately, but I, I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy in, in my relationship. And, Um, I wasn't going to as many meetings and, you know, for a while, pop, I was in that pink cloud, happy, joyous and free, the fourth dimension. I'm feeling God all the time. That wasn't there. And so it really made me take a look at all the other people that I thought, Oh, well they don't, they're not as spiritual. I was one of those people. I think God takes us through things. So we become the people. So we have compassion for the people that we don't really understand. And I was dry and I was miserable and I was also doing half measures it was prayer and meditation. So I really, really got into meditation at that point. And then I was able to um, address all the underlying issues in my life, all the underlying strife, like dealing with, you know, the inner neglected child and, and things like that, where meditation gets you to the point where you can, you can heal all that child, those childhood wounds, you can, and and you can feel safe within yourself. And I, I know I can take care of my 14 year old daughter. Now I know I can take care of my my inner child or whatever you want to call it. And I know I can take care of my 49 year old self. Now it gave me that back. Right. So, um, it, it, so just, you know, a lot of times prayer and meditation, I was just half-assing it. So when I incorporated the meditation, it gave me my self worth back. And so I, and also I'm not scared to die. And when you oh. feel that, that eternal love, that, that you did when you, when you are very spiritual and, constantly meditating, you know, that's never going to go away. That's never going to die. So, um, so it made me realize that, you know, there's so much more than what we see in front of us or how people are treating us or who's in our life. It's we're, It's so much bigger than that. And I believe that I, I was given a second chance through grace and through mercy and to, to keep, to get that light inside and to, to show other people that, um, you know, that it's I'm not special. They can have it too.
1: Right, right, right. How did you get into meditation and what type of meditation and what's your process like? What's your process like?
0: Well, it's my, my sponsor met was meditated all the time.
1: So he, okay. I
0: call him up about, Oh my gosh, I don't think I'm going to get this opportunity or this. Did you meditate today, Jane?
1: Oh
0: call God first, then call me back. Okay. You called God. Now, did you meditate? Call me after you meditate <laughs> early on.
1: I like that. So
0: that. I had to do it, but um, there's a place um, near my house a meditation center where I went and they do the, um, the subtraction method that came out in the mid nineties where basically you learned, um, you know, throw away that any, anything that doesn't serve you, that it's just thoughts. That it's I like
1: just, that. I, I never yeah. heard of that. I thought, I, you know, you think you hear of it, you know, it all, right. You've learned something to do.
0: It's just thoughts like this body's going to be gone. Everything's going to be gone. And, and all that's going to be left is, you know, here, m- more importantly here. So what's going on up here? These, these silly thoughts. Right, what I think about this or what I think about that isn't going to matter.
1: Right. Get rid of them. Right, correct. <laughs> the giraffe reading the newspaper in your mind is not really important at the time, right? Just, right. To just let it go. I, <laughs> I study. I studied under the, um, somewhat of the Vedic transcendental area, where you kind of just focus and you kind of create this awareness of the thoughts that's coming and just let them pass. Because after mm-hmm. a while. See, I think people can't get through that initial five to I say five to seven minutes that initial five to seven where your mind is going crazy, but eventually it really calms down, you know, somewhere between seven and 10 minutes, you start to really calm down and those thoughts start to settle and then you become more aware of yourself and that inner peace. Um, And it's a beautiful process. I just think for most people, consistency is the issue and and so I think it's one of those things you just have to be patient with, right? It may not happen overnight where you can find a consistent practice, but if you can get there, you'll start to reap the benefits of meditation.
0: And it changes your body physically and breathing the same way having a couple of drinks did for me. It comes right. you know it, A lot of times we're using the, the external stuff, the drugs or the alcohol, just to regulate our breathing and our thoughts and just to, you know, I remember right. like, you know, pouring my first glass of wine and getting that, oh, it's all going to be okay feeling when I was just really adding to the problem. But when I meditate now, I get that it's all going to be okay feeling and I'm uh, not adding to the problem. Hey, you not- actually- it- yeah.
1: Correct. 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 I love it. I love it. And um, so you use, I have this thing, a concept called the all in approach and um, where I, for me to find success, I had to do Alcoholic Anonymous. I had to meditate, I had to exercise, I had to watch the diet. I had to go to therapy and counseling. What's your take on, did you ever have to go to therapy? Did you, was there ever any mental health aspect accompanying your addiction or you just totally was good with the meditation and the Alcoholic Anonymous?
0: I, um I, you know, to be, candid, I, I probably needed it. I couldn't afford it. Okay. Uh, When I, when I got sober, I didn't have any money and I didn't have, um, I didn't start working for a while. I was hanging out in AA and, and, um, I was lucky enough to be, um, there was a friend in the program and he was a long haul truck driver and he allowed me and my daughter, I got her back after I had a year and a week without a drink to stay at his house and watch his dog while he traveled. And, um, you know, that's the way AA is. It really, I mean, a bunch is, it really is the kindness of strangers just showing up and having people like, I, I still can't get over that people genuinely cared for me when I couldn't care for myself. Yeah. I probably did need all, I probably did maybe need that extra help at that time. Right. But, um, I really believe with my, the way I, like I said, I went to meetings for the first two years. And my relationship with God is such that I believe he can heal me anywhere that I hurt. If I right, have physical right. problems, emotional problems, mental problems. Correct. If you ask God, you will receive. You just And you have to believe. You have to believe he's working in your life. Uh, the problem is I didn't have God in my life for years. I didn't believe that he was going to do anything for me. If you, if you think, yeah, that's great. God's great. But He's not. he might do it. But he's not going to do it for me. He's not going to do yes. it for me. No, (laughs) well that's exactly who he's gonna do it for. But you gotta believe in them and you gotta ask them. So yeah, I think I do I do um did have some real mental health stuff, and maybe I still struggle with some things here and there, but it's nothing that I can't handle today with my sobriety and God.
1: Correct. And people gotta always recognize that you know that you deserve it. I think people sometimes don't believe that they deserve the love or that they believe they've been hurt so much by people. They don't believe that it's some external force out there or some higher power that exists that could love them enough or will love them. But that's not true. You have to learn to love yourself, be patient with yourself. And I'm telling you, there is a God out there. There is a higher power that is solely dedicated to your well-being and loving you and being supportive to you you just have to be open to that and know that you deserve it and i and i had with my recovery i I honestly had to i started to say look you deserve to live a normal life without this substance that's causing you so many issues Mm -hmm. it was just always in problems with the uh, with alcohol for me and and i remember the craziest thing is my mother told me at 12 years old before i even thought about alcohol Joseph, don't ever drink alcohol because you don't need it and you probably will be allergic to it. And what she was trying to say was that the way you are naturally is so powerful and so enough that alcohol is just going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. And I never understood that until I went all the way to my late 20s um, and um, it just destroyed a lot for me. Well, you know what? Today... We learned a lot, Jane, and thank you so much because you put a real emphasis and perspective on God and grace and recovery. And I just really think that's important for anyone out there who may be struggling with addiction. Don't be afraid or rule out God or the possibility of God in your life. Whether you don't believe, whether you had a bad experience at church, whether you had a crazy parent, it doesn't matter don't take that off the table. That's the most important thing probably in your life. And you don't want to <laughs> take it off the table.
0: Yeah. And it, and don't think that, oh, well, maybe for you, them, but not for me, for Correct. you available. I have an all loving, all inclusive God that's available to anyone. All you have to do is ask. He's, he's My God is big enough to wrap his arms around all of you, Everybody, all of you. Just, just, he's there. Just, just reach out just reach out and believe. And when you start to feel it pop, as you know, then it's just so much easier to believe. And then, you know, you just, you you see them working and you see things happening that you thought would never happen. And I think they take, I think God uses screw ups like me to think, wow, her, she was so far gone. She's, I mean, I know AA isn't like horse racing, but people thought a lot of people wrote me off. Like, it's okay, Jane. A lot of us don't, you know, just don't make it. But, um, I think God sometimes takes people, you know, that would never, you'd never think would be a a God person. I didn't think, oh, I was, I thought I was too cool for God or this or that. And then I was too sick and too, too, um, much self-loathing for God. And then those. it's just, it's anyone, it's just anyone that's open to it. And, um, and now I'm, I'm, uh. All
1: about God. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Before we go, I want to just ask you one thing. Yeah. There's a lot of people who report that sometimes, and this is not me trying to attack AA. I'm a proponent sure. for AA. I love AA. Yeah. But if someone has a bad experience, how did how you what do you advise them and how should they handle it? Because some people go to a meeting and it may be the wrong day, the wrong time. And they may have this terrible experience and just write off AA. What would you say to that person to not give up?
0: And keep going find another meeting and keep go to another meeting. Not all people are the same. Yeah. Some jerks will ruin, ruin a situation, but just that's just, that's anywhere in life. Like you're not going to stop going to your favorite restaurant because you know, someone at the table next to you was rude one time. Right. It's just you gotta there's we're everywhere, we're a worldwide organization, and just uh, find a different meeting, find some different people. The good outweighs the bad.
1: The The good outweighs the bad. That's right. That's right. Hey, I always say um in the beginning, I had to say on the podcast that Sopa's Dope was not affiliate with AA just for um that's fair, but I took it off. Because I just, I didn't want to give anyone, I went through every episode, but when I got to 200, Mm -hmm. I went back and started, I took that message off of every episode because honestly, although it's not affiliated, I, without AA, I wouldn't be here today. It's the only, it's the place that brought it all together, right? My counselors did their work. My rehab did its work. But when Mm -hmm. I went to AA and I sat there and read that book and, um, I just read it all clicked. And another thing I want people to understand is that you know how you get into something new? When you get into the novelty of sobriety, you want to read as much about it as possible. You want to just grab as much literature. You want to educate yourself because now you're doing this new thing called sobriety. And there's no better literature than the big book. The big book is like, Everything that you're ever going to need to know about recovery and sobriety and your addiction and the steps to take to overcome that addiction. So don't rule it out. And Mm -hmm. um, and if you can't find if you don't want to deal with the God in the 12 steps of AA, then try to identify the higher power Mm -hmm. within you reframe it and Mm -hmm. um, eventually you'll get there on your own. Right.
0: Something higher, bigger than the, the drug of your choice. And a lot of people lives and live or lived in the boonies got sober just on that book alone. Right. But for me, when people say, yeah, Jane, can you talk about uh, getting sober, but can you keep God out of it? Or can uh-huh. you keep A out of it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what worked for me. And that would, that would be doing a disservice. The right. truth is God and AA are the only reason I'm still alive today. That's it.
1: Amen. I'm proud. I'm proud. Thank you so much for your honesty and for delivering such a stern message today. It's good and refreshing to speak to someone who has to, who chooses a side, chooses a way and sticks to it. Um, where can people find you on social media and how can people reach out to you and get more information?
0: Sure. Um, uh, Instagram at Jane. My last name is Zarse spelled Z-A-R-S-E-J-A-N-E-Z-A-R-S-E- um, or at Twitter, it's reversed, uh, it's inverted. At Zarcy Jane, so social media is a great way to get a hold of me. And my
1: books are on Amazon. I'm so proud of you. And um, any, what's new? What's new coming? You have a new book working. What's new? What's next for Jane?
0: Not at this time. I'm thinking about maybe next year. You, you know how it is when you start getting. Um, what you you know, like what, as you know, if you're creative, you feel something is put on your heart, and then it's like, oh boy, I got to get this out. Right. I haven't. I- or to at this time, but um, I haven't taken it any further than that. But you, you know what I mean when you start. Yes,
1: right, right. It's coming. It's bubbling up and that inspiration is there. I see <laughs> yeah. you. Well, Thank you for all your work, Jane. You're an amazing <laughs> force in the recovery community. I'm so happy we finally connected and thank you for being patient. You waited so for me to go through all of my ups and downs this last <laughs> two months.
0: That's more important than, you know, anything else. You're you're back and you're feeling good.
1: Right. You know, thank it's
0: a you. Honor. It's a real privilege. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. So thank you for, for the distinct honor.
1: You're welcome. And God bless you. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Sober Is Dope. That's a wrap with our episode with <laughs> Jane Zarcy um, on the Sober's Dope podcast. We love you all. Go in peace and God bless. And I'll catch you all on the other side.